We're back. Raw knowledge, your host, myself, as always, Alex Connor. Training, nutrition, lifestyle, you guys know the drill. Going to keep these intros short and sweet, and quite frankly, I'm thinking about just getting rid of them altogether. Because let's face the truth, we're all here for the same thing, and that's the juicy knowledge with my talented guests. And of course, I'm back with another one who goes by the name of Solo, Kate Solo. And what you need to know is she's a coach, a blogger, a mother, and quite frankly, a very talented, unique, and amazing individual. And of course, there are lots of takeaways, lots of thought-provoking conversations we have today. So without further ado, let's get into it. Before we do, guys, you know what to do. Like, comment, subscribe if you're on YouTube, leave a rating and a review on iTunes and Spotify. We really appreciate it. And don't be greedy, share the knowledge around. All right, let's dive straight in. Okay, Kate, welcome to the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast. Thank you for your time. Thanks for the patience. Had a bit of discrepancy in time there. Give us, for the audience who are not watching and they are listening, paint us a bit of a picture. Where are you and uh, how are you this afternoon slash evening? Oh, so I am uh, not normally where I'm at, where I'm at. So I'm visiting my best friend downtown Toronto. Uh, I just kicked her two French bulldogs out of the room and closed the door so we can have nice, quiet recording time because they're known to make snorting noises and be quite loud. So I've uh, learned my lesson and uh, done that. And uh, pretty good. It's uh, gray. Uh, we're starting to feel fall, I think. Just overnight, we went from super hot summer to all of a sudden, like, I, I can feel September on my skin. That always freaks me out a little bit. But, hey, it's cycle of life. Yeah, very much so. I mean, dogs are great. Absolutely love them. They obviously don't understand about podcasts. But uh, if they could talk, which I often oh. have... You know, it's a fantasy in my head. I'm like, what would they say? What would their personalities be like? And speaking of quiet, although it might be a little bit dark in Toronto, it's going to get light here in Australia. It does look a bit overcast, but I do have some people who've decided to do some renovations. So hopefully there is no exterior noise. <laughs> but as I said, we will make it happen. That's what we do. This technology is pretty amazing that we can connect with people around the world anyway. So that's good. Now, Kate, I'd like to start at the beginning, as always. Now, for people who are not aware of who you are and what you do, give us a bit of a synopsis, give us a bit of a rundown, what you do, more importantly, why you do it. Ooh, the why question. I love that you threw that wrench in at the end. Uh, that's <laughs> the funnest part for me. Uh, so my background, academic background, uh, is in psychology. A really long time ago, I actually started in computer science. Uh, mathematics uh, did not last there very long. Um, there was just, it, w it just wasn't interesting to me. So I ended up shifting to human behavior and uh, have not been bored ever since I've done that. And uh, after school, I did my graduate degree in uh, health psychology, focusing on stress management, resilience, uh, and post-traumatic growth. And out of school, I started teaching. I taught um, psychology at college and university level. Uh, I taught to professional programs. So programs like um, massage therapists, police foundations, nursing programs, 
and uh, also general education courses at the university level. So like introductory psych, those big intro psych where folks first learn about Sigmund Freud and classical conditioning of Pavlov's dogs. Uh, that was lots of fun for me. And uh, after that, I started getting uh, little by little into the field of health and wellness. My journey started with yoga, of all things. I ended up getting my yoga teacher certification, started teaching yoga, started getting into the field of nutrition. I found Precision Nutrition, have done uh, their coaching uh, program, their 12 months coaching program, learned a ton, uh, really discovered what my body likes and doesn't like, what my body can do and cannot do, and uh, started coaching for Precision Nutrition. That was my big career shift, just moving away from academia into more of an applied world, let's just say. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, my position has kind of ebbed and flowed uh, at PN at Precision Nutrition, and uh, I am now the Director of Community Engagement at the company, or just more in human language, as I translated, I'm the hugger-in-chief. So I uh, meet folks, hug folks, or at least I used to in real life before COVID. Now uh, I'm all about virtual hugs, uh, but really making connections, building relationships, and uh, helping our clients and coaches do the same. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, and thanks for sort of touching base on a lot of key points and we will unpack them and just to kind of reverse and address that you said the throwing the wrench of the why in and perhaps obviously with your background you recognize that but I think even just from a really simplistic view for, for people who are listening with you know not a, a, a psychological background or you know they don't understand neuroscience that why is super important because I think obviously if you if you know why you do something and if you have a purpose, I often notice that's going to be a really, really big defining factor in what you pursue and, and the ability and the quality of how you're able to help people, which is really great. And yeah, I'm sure you are struggling because um, you, you said that one of your alter egos is Tigger and you do like to hug people. You're, you know, you're very, um, I guess, uh, loving in that respect. So it must, be, it must be pretty hard at the moment with everything that's going on. But I do believe that we will get back. I think a lot of people are saying that, you know, the handshake is over, the ear of the handshake is over and the hug. And I'm like, I, I don't really think it is. I think it's obviously just something that we've got to go through at the moment. But I wanted to talk about, and I like to talk about things that are not necessarily off topic, but I do, as you may be aware, like to come at a different angle, but I like to find out more about the person, more about Kate. So I'd actually like to talk to you about your background and where you grew up. And if I'm not mistaken, it is in Russia. And if you do remember that and what you do remember about it and how that has affected your growth, because obviously, like myself, you started off in one country and you've obviously traveled. And I do believe that travel is one of the best education. So I would like to very much address that if you've got anything that you want to share on it. Yeah, well, I mean, if travel is the best education, I am very, very educated uh, because I think travel has been a big part of my life um, from a fairly young age, and I have caught the travel bug ever since and been bouncing around. So, uh, I mean, 
global pandemic has been difficult for me on multiple levels. Not only hugs are not allowed, but there isn't really much travel going on as well. So you got to appreciate 2020 has been a pretty tough year for me. Uh, but yeah, I've been uh, uh, born and raised in Russia, specifically Siberia. I say Siberia because folks' general geography knowledge about Russia tends to end with Moscow, which is understandable. That's kind of my geography knowledge of any country as well. Probably we know the capital, we kind of know the largest city, uh, but where I'm from, it's the third largest city in Russia. It's the capital of Siberia and uh, third after Moscow and St. Petersburg. And uh, I was there until 15, at which point uh, my family immigrated to Canada. So since then, I've been a little bit of a transplant, like we've lived in Netherlands for a year at some point trying to immigrate there and uh, ended up in Canada. But I think my my English has gotten to a point where some, some folks actually miss the fact that I wasn't born here, uh, yet I am missing this entire shared experience of growing up in Canada from zero to 15. So I don't know local, you know, culture from the 1980s and 90s. I don't know kids songs and like toddlers books in English, right? So it's kind of funny because I have these gaps when it comes to Canadian culture and being able to relate to folks my age, uh, because it's, it's all from from back home. Yeah, no, that make that makes sense. Have you have you been back uh, many times? I imagine since like over the years, since you moving away from Siberia and, and if so, is it, is it what you remember when you were young? Yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine, but it's been over 20 years now uh, that I've been in Canada. So a few years back, uh, well, a number of years back now, we've kind of crossed that boundary where I've lived in Canada longer than I've lived in Russia. And I've been uh, back a number of times, a handful of times. Every few years, I end up going back, and I would say, for the most part, itself necessarily. Uh, I have this uh, kind of a strange philosophy, if you will, that we all have um, we all have a soulmate when it comes to countries. Like each country has a vibe; it has a character. Yes, and uh, while. Russia is my mother, uh, and uh, Russia obviously is where I come from and where I was born. We don't necessarily get along all that well. Uh, meanwhile, Canada is probably as close as it gets to my soulmate. I love this country. I think um, I really just share in its uh, character and personality. As much as Canada has a personality, I think we, we're definitely good friends and, and roommates and best buddies. Yeah, that's I like that. That's a really good example, which I've not heard anyone use before, but that really resonates with me because I talk about like a vibe or there's another terminology called juju. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but apparently it's a thing. And where I first saw it was my friend has a tattoo behind his ear and it says good juju. And I said, what, what does that mean? And he says, well, you know, when you go somewhere and you either you feel comfortable or it feels good or you go someplace and it just feels a bit sketchy or weird and you can't really put your finger on it. He said, well, that's juju. And I said, all oh, right. And I said, is that a thing? And he goes, no, it's a thing. And I looked it up like on the internet as you do. And uh, it is, it's a colloquial term, but it is a thing. And I thought, well, that's actually really good because I find when I was growing up, that was hard to describe where you would go somewhere and it would just connect 
but you couldn't quite put your finger on why. Like you could say, yeah, it's got nice people and it's got beautiful scenery and all this, but you could just be in that space and it just had an energy. So I think that's a really, really important point and that people should travel more because you just don't know. You just don't know until you go there. And either way, you're going to learn something. And you perhaps might appreciate where you're from a little bit more, or it might give you the answer to go, you know what? I think now this is definitely the place for me. But it's like ice cream. You don't know what flavors you like until you try them. That's a great, um, uh, that's absolutely a great example. I think that's definitely like ice cream. And uh, when it comes to ice cream, I want to try them all. And I think that's, uh, uh, that's true when it comes to travel as well, because how can I know how I feel about a place if I haven't been there yet? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Kate, I want to transition into more psychology and your time when you were studying and teaching. Well, first of all, is that something that you always wanted to do? You were passionate about it or is it something that you fell into over time? Uh, if you were to ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I was around 12 or 13, I probably would have told you that I wanted to be a teacher uh, like my mom. And except I realized as I got older, I realized two things about myself. I really like learning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why stop at undergraduate? We're just going to keep keep collecting degrees at that point. So I really liked learning and I also really liked swearing, which I don't think went, went really well with like teaching little children. So I figured I'm gonna, I'm probably better off limiting myself to instructing strictly adults 18 plus. And that's how I think uh, teaching at a college and university, not that I did a lot of swearing there, but at least I knew that if I slipped, uh, there are, the consequences will be less severe. And I really enjoyed that. Um, to me, teaching has always been a form of um, performance. It's always been a bit of stand-up, a bit of acting, a bit of storytelling, uh, and then information layered and laced within that. I really loved the challenge of how do you make something interesting? I think you've as that question, the why, like, why do I do what I do? And in my experience, to me, it's very, it's very fascinating and somewhat entertaining that I somehow ended up in a helping profession. In fact, uh, I know a couple of my friends, they poke fun at me regularly because I don't strike them as the helping type of individual necessarily. But um, in my experience, there are two types of folks that are attracted to helping professional professions. There is the type who really wants to help people, who's really drawn by that kind of caring aspect of helping. But the other type is really attracted to problem solving. And people are incredibly fascinating. They uh, just present this endless permutation and combination of factors and figuring out what will work for whom is super fun. And I think I'm definitely in that latter camp of, of analytical thinking slash engineering problem solving challenge. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I do find as well, not to categorize people or put them in a box that females generally are a little bit more analytical in nature. Again, it's a generalization. But to kind of repackage that question or transition it a little bit, transform it, if you will, what have you learned within coaching people from teaching people 
especially in the early days. And you, you still do because teaching is coaching. There's a lot of crossovers. But um, as the, the maxim goes, as we teach, we learn, right? Uh, something that I've found. So if I'm teaching something, and like you said, you, you, you can't just be monotone. You have to add a bit of entertainment. Maybe it's a bit of storytelling. You've got to connect with the multiple personalities within that room. And that is something which is very, very underrated when it comes to teaching, I do believe. And it's the difference between why some people are learning, some people don't, especially in the early stages. A lot of people slip through the net, you know, oh, this person's not smart. It's like, well, mate, no, it's not they're not smart. It's just that they learn differently and, you know, people get labeled, but we're starting to identify that a lot more. So have you found that you've had any correlating skill sets or experiences that have really helped you, especially now when, like me and you, if we were coaching, I can read your body language to a degree, but I'm not there with you. So as you know, communication is, in my belief, it's mostly body language. So perhaps there's some correlating skills that you've adopted from teaching people to help better coach people. Yeah, that's a fantastic question because I, I love this idea that you can steal and borrow from anywhere and anyone. And there are just so many things that are, like you said, transferable. Uh, so I think between teaching and coaching, um, there are a couple of things. And one is information doesn't really matter that much. And that's such a blasphemy uh, to say. It's such a blasphemous statement in a way. But and you would imagine that information is more important in education somehow. Uh, but information in itself doesn't really do anything. It's really, it's being able to demonstrate to a student and to a client um, how specific piece of information applies, applies to their life and actually helping them apply it. And it's when they see not just that A plus B equals C, but it actually directly impacts them. That's really a very powerful realization. So I've always pushed for that. How do we relate it to our own experience? I've always used a lot of personal examples in my lectures. Whenever we talked about dry scientific concepts, I would pepper them with stories about my cat and about my boyfriend and about my mom and uh, just all the things and encouraged them throughout and reminded them throughout that those experiences might help them make the connections. But at the end of the day, they were also my experiences. And I've encouraged them to listen to me and try pick out their own experiences from their own life and teach that to somebody else. So, and I think this kind of takes us to the second thing that I learned is that the absolute best way to understand something is to teach it to somebody else. And in order to understand it even better, you've got to teach us, teach it to somebody else multiple times. So one of the challenges that I've encountered in teaching is the fact that you can explain something to someone in a way that seems to make complete perfect sense to you. And yet you have someone look up and they say, I don't get it. And from there, you got to know where to go because it's not going to do any good or that person any good to just repeat what you said. You got to find a different way to explain that same thing in a different way, right? And they might say, I still don't get it. And you better have a third explanation 
in your pocket, right? You gotta find something. You gotta help them find something that works for them, that clicks for them. And I think even like folks listening can hear the direct translation there of how we experiment with our clients when we coach. What approach will help this client? What type of eating will resonate with this client? I just interviewed somebody in my podcast. We've talked about ketogenic diets and how some people don't stick to ketogenic diets. It's unsustainable for them. But for some people to say, I tried keto, it changed my life. I've been on it for four years, right? Like different strokes for, for different folks. So I think that's another kind of connection. And the last one in, it, it might seem small, but it's actually served me really well. When I was teaching at college and university, a good chunk of my students were um, folks from different countries for whom English was their second language or third or fourth in some cases. And English is my second language as well. So what I've learned very early on is to enunciate very clearly, because that's, that's the way that uh, folks had the best chance of understanding me. And I, on the other hand, had experience with teachers when I just arrived to Canada, where I really struggled to understand what they were saying. And since then, having worked with many clients all around the world, who also uh, have English as their second, third, fourth language, and often connecting over the phone or over Zoom, that ability to enunciate has really come in handy. So I've been grateful for my teaching experience for that. Yeah, absolutely. That there are an absolute multitude of valuable points that you made there, Kate, and I'm really passionate about a lot of them. Um, from from an understanding point of view or a curiosity point of view, and I think you sort of reinforced a couple of why I ask these questions quite commonly, where I will say to people, "Can you tell me how X experience has correlated to to this?" And I have a few more of those, and they're really important because. Again, the art of communication is vastly, again, it's another underrated key point, I believe. Something like myself, I've had to learn early on, possibly with the travel as well. Speaking very clearly, being very precise. And it's not necessarily about an intelligence point of view. It's more of like the social intelligence and understanding where, you know, different people are going to connect with different stories, different metaphors, different examples, and using those so people can go, well, for example, if you have someone in front of you that is likes cars, or I found that they like cars, I might use an analogy of a car when I'm talking about nutrition, or I'm talking about training, and I can see them light up, or I might see them go to sleep. I'm like, okay, I need another analogy here. I need something different. Okay, they're like dogs. Let me use that, you know, or whatever it might be. And this comes back to, and I'll, I'll sort of draw to the point of the next question or, or the next statement, which is that the art of coaching is this. It's the gray area. It's the minutiae. It's the individuality. You can't really put your finger on it because you can look at all coaches. You look at programs. You can look at systems. You look at processes. But ultimately, it's the person that's coaching you. That's where that real if there is any magic, that's where it is because that's where you're going to connect. That's when you're going to be able to get through to that person on the other end of the line. And I want to delve into that a lot more um, with, with what you do. So I'll ask this open-ended question initially, and then I'll, I'll sort of pick a little bit more specifically, which is when we look at habit formation and behavior, and this is a, this is a rabbit hole, I understand. 
how do you effectively now, with what we've already said, help people identify and change those behaviors to aid adherence or actually get sustainable, positive results for people? And I know that's a big question. So bite at it wherever you want and and we'll break it down. Well, I think first of all is is kind of what you're saying, like what you were saying with meeting each client where they're at, right? Like this is a big concept. We talk about it quite a bit at Precision Nutrition throughout curriculum for both of our coaching certifications. And what does that mean exactly to to meet their client? where where they're at well it might mean different things depending on a client so if you have a nutrition coaching client and you're working with them on weight loss or weight gain and they have never really looked into nutrition before they don't really know how protein is different from carbs well giving them a very elaborate calorie counting macro prescribed plan would be one example of not meeting them where they're at if you have somebody who kind of hates numbers uh, or really doesn't like rigid schedules putting them on uh, like an iron man training program and training peaks and handing them a garmin watch once again will not be meeting them where they're at. On the other hand, I have coached plenty of folks that are actual engineers who are into measuring things and spreadsheets, and that's where they really thrive. They enjoy it. And if I were to start off with talking about mindfulness and eating cues and really tuning into your hunger, they would freak out and run away, right? So one of the biggest one of the biggest deciding factors for determining client success is rapport. And it's the same factor that determines therapeutic success in therapist client outcomes as well. So my number one goal will always be to establish rapport. And I do that in a couple of different ways. When I take on private clients, I always talk to them first. There is always that initial consult. And right away, it's a bit of a screening for them and for me. They have a chance to run away screaming, right? When they encounter my sort of extroverted, huggy, intense self. And that's totally cool. And I also have a chance to kind of say, to tune in and kind of say, you know, we we might not be a best match, right? Because of their goals or maybe because, again, the, the connection is not there. So this is going to be the first thing in which I will really build, uh, try and establish rapport. The second thing is also kind of what you described, right? Like, what does this person like? What do they get? Uh, Do they get cars? Do they get tennis? Uh, How can I connect with them? How can I make them understand? Like, what would be a big thing? So I remember having a client who has mentioned her dog in every single message to me. And I understood that that dog, regardless of how you feel about dogs, about how I feel about dogs, that dog, she was going to be crucial to rapport, to coach client rapport. So I've better learned that 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 dog's name and learned something about the dog because this dog was a very important relationship in this woman's life. Another woman um, who's a dear friend now, I remember um, knowing she's very religious. Uh, I actually emailed her back and I 
explained one of the habits, one of the nutritional concepts we were working on uh, using a couple of Bible verses. And it really, um, it really resonated with her. It really struck a chord. And I still, we still giggle about that because I think two or three weeks later, she found me on Facebook and she looked at my profile and she said, Kate, it says you're an atheist. I said, uh-huh. She said, but you quoted Bible at me. I said, I did. I know the Bible. I know the Bible quite well. Did it work? Did it help you understand? She said, it absolutely did. I said, then I've done my job. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. That is a key point. And I want to, I want to underscore it, highlight it, whatever terminology you want to use, because I feel that a lot of professionals and for everyone listening, I want them to, to really internalize that last bit and go back and, and listen to it again, perhaps, especially if you are a coach or, or, um, you know, a professional of some sort. So many practitioners are so focused on the result or the outcome, and they're not actually listening or understanding the person that's in front of them. I see it every day in my own workplace. I do things very differently and I don't think that it's not from, Oh, I, I do it better, but I feel people are just missing the forest for the trees all the time. I like to sit down with my clients. I don't bring them straight into the gym. I personally like to offer something, you know, more holistic. Obviously that's part of what I do. So I understand it's a different service. But the first thing I do, for example, have um, a new uh, or a possible new client, which I'm catching up with Thursday for a consultation. And I'm sat down and I'm doing some work on my laptop. I've got about 5% battery and I'm trying to finish this exercise library, right? So I'm like, I'm cutting it fine. And one of the ladies from reception, Claire, she comes over, she's from New Zealand. And she goes, hey, Alex, this is Diane. Diane's just joined the gym. You know, and Claire's very much like m- me times 10 all the time so she's super bouncy and she introduces diane and diane's yeah she's probably like you with coffee i imagine (laughs) (laughs) um so me and claire you know everyone at work i have good rapport with because i not only because i do genuinely like and have an interest in these people but i do understand that when they think and they know about alex and what alex can deliver and they have a client in front of them who are they going to refer them to right? So little things, success leaves clues. And so she comes over, she goes, this is Diane. And Diane was probably, I'd say 50 to sixties. She seemed quite reserved, quiet. And she goes, look, Diane is wanting to build muscle and she's joining the gym and this, that, and the other. Anyway, so I have a, have a chat to Diane, right? And Diane sort of tells me about what she wants to achieve, etc. And straight away, I just sort of take her off that. And I just ask her about her and we just, chat and we have a laugh and we talk about these things and I explain about you know generally how I do it we'll have a consult first because I knew I didn't have all the time in the world then but I wanted to spend at least 15 minutes or 10 minutes where I could to just build that initial report and set an expectation that hey we're just going to have a chat first you can suss me out I can suss you out I can show you what I do but more importantly I can get to know what you like what you want why you want to achieve it and I think a lot of the time that can that can step people off because they're like, well, why is he so interested in this? And you do have to be, be careful because some people are a bit more reserved and they can take it a little bit personally. But it's such an important and a critical step because it can save you and them a lot of heartache because you can see if it's a good fit as a client and coach. But also, like you've mentioned, Kate, it allows you to be able to communicate better with that person because, as you said, and it, it, it's a really 
big um, irony that the information is as, isn't it is important, but it's not as important as people think because I'm of the belief that 20% of the knowledge nine times out of 10 does 80% of the job and it's how it's delivered. The devil is literally in the details. Um, (laughs) It's yeah. And I don't think this is highlighted enough because people are just so focused looking at things binary, like, Oh, it squats. That's what got me jacked or this food got me shredded. It's like, no, no, it didn't. Let's look from a different angle. Let's let's flip that. Let's look at the principles. Uh, but then how do you extrapolate that? So I do think that a lot of those things you said, they're very, very valuable. And I just want to make people aware uh, or to perhaps understand and, and listen to those a little bit more, especially for our you know practitioners and clinicians and coaches listening, because this is a part where I feel it falls down. You do need the knowledge but you do need the communication skills. And arguably that is almost more important um, in, in that respect. I think that's a great point. And uh, just through coaching health and fitness professionals, we've had these conversations many times. And one thing I like to point out is that no matter how you end up coaching, you will self-select your crowd a little bit. And that crowd will kind of select self-select as well. Mm. So you can have a coach who is very much the quote unquote engineer, let's say. And uh, I know a number of coaches like that who, who run very successful coaching practices and they attract the exactly the type of client uh, that's similar to them, right? Who like numbers, who will do exactly as they're told. There isn't really much feelings and the coaches will probably admit that openly. Like we don't do feelings, like here's your damn workout. And if you do it, you'll get results, which is true. Uh, I think what I'm, I'm just more curious myself about being more versatile. I'm very interested in being a versatile, adaptable coach and a versatile, adaptable human. Just in general, I'm very fascinated by the concept of just making myself harder to kill and harder to just become extinct, whatever that is, becoming stronger and being able to thrive in a variety of situations. Um, Right. So I think it's it's really do you want to specialize or do you want to generalize? And I'm passionate about being able to work with a variety of people, being able to speak a variety of languages on a variety of levels. You've alluded a little bit like when you travel and we speak differently, right? It's not that we adjust our language to the person's intelligence level, but we adjust our language accordingly. And there is super fascinating research on uh, child development that actually shows that kids uh, as young as two to four years of age adjust their language when they speak to kids younger than them, right? They actually simplify their speech and we do exactly the same thing, right? So there are 16 tenses in the English language. I know that as an immigrant who had to learn English, right? I don't know a lot of natives who know how many tenses there are in the English language, unless you're kind of a grammar junkie. Um, but if I'm speaking to somebody in a different country who uh, whose English is pretty simple, I'm probably not going to be using 16 tenses. I'm going to be using very simple nouns, verbs, right? You 
you pointing at the person, go, right? Like there are a lot of gestures. And this is very much like I'm adjusting my communication to the person I'm speaking to so they have the best chance of understanding me. So it's really no different when we talk to kids or our clients, our clients speak to us. So I think that applies everywhere. Yeah, that that there's going to be a beautiful jumping off point to the next question. And I had a, I actually had a conversation with a gentleman yesterday, funnily enough, about this, how, you know, we're talking about, you know, be a specialist, don't be a generalist. But I said, there's a bit of a caveat to that. I said that I've learned as of the last 12 months is that although you do want to be a specialist and it is good to, you know, be very, very well versed in a certain area, you do need the ability to have these crossovers where, for example, in our, so in our circle or professional circle, for example, it is of interest to understand that if we're going to refer someone to a chiropractor, a physio, a psychologist, a nutritionist, a personal trainer, or whatever it is, and maybe you've got an amalgamation of those qualifications. But if you can understand some language, so if I speak to a physio and I can say, cool, I personally think it's the, you know, the lateral glute or whatever it is, or the medial vastus lateralis or whatever it is, or I think there's an acute tear there or something, without going out of my scope, that physio, depending, they might go, okay, speak my language, I get it, or at least I can get him in the ballpark, that handover is a little bit warmer. So I think that's a really important point. And I am also passionate, like yourself, about being that Swiss army knife, where it's not so much, it is kind of being like a chameleon, but not so much because a chameleon sort of blends in and that can give the impression that you're trying to be something you're not. But it's just the ability, like an army knife, it has many, many, many roles that it can competently achieve, but it can transition between them. And it's something that And I said to this gentleman yesterday, and he had a lot more life experience than me, but he was talking about his daughter and uh, his son-in-law, how they are physios and how, you know, they are trying to do things differently and spend time with people to, to find a niche. And I said, I think everyone starting off in life, if you can just get into a retail job or hospitality, the more people you can get in front of, the better, because you just need to sharpen that sword on all of your social skills, get in front of people you know, who are small, big, different languages, different ethnicities, different cultures, because it just gives you this absolute spectrum of communication skills. So when you have someone in front of you, I call it calibration. You can very quickly calibrate to, you know, am I going to swear a bit more with this person? Am I going to hold back? Am I going to use simple language? Am I going to use tenses? Am I going to use humor? And you can just quickly adapt again without being something you're not. And then to bring it back to what you initially said, where you do want to polarize to a degree, because if you're trying to be something you're not and coaching like something you're not, you're probably not going to enjoy coaching that person. So there is that that side of it too, where you do want to polarize because you want to attract, you know, without being too rigid, like, well, this is the way I am and that's it. But you do want to attract people that you enjoy coaching because they're going to resonate with you. And that's what makes Kate Kate. And that's why someone would, you know, I coach with Kate because X, Y, and Z, right? Or they might not be able to explain it. Like, why does someone train with me? Excuse me, if I've got the same qualification and knowledge as many other people, but what's the difference? Well, it's the way Alex delivers it. It's the way Alex makes me feel or or whatever it might be. And I think that, again, like you highlighted, these are little nuances which have massive effect. So to now 
you know, sort of spearhead it into the question is let's talk about adversity. And can you give me, and I know you like storytelling, Kate, some examples of the most challenging and difficult clients that you've worked with and what were the breakthroughs? What was that experience like? What did you learn from it? Did you get success? Did you not quite get success? You know, we can't help everyone as much as we'd like to think we can. But I have often found that the most challenging clients have been my best learnings and made me a better coach. So I'd love to explore that with you, please. Yes. Will you allow me a small, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a small rabbit hole off to the side. And of course. And please bring me back to this question. But yeah. I wanted to point something out because I've been kind of rattling uh, around in my brain. And I think this is uh, something that we struggle uh, with often. And by we, I think, I mean, humans really, where I find that coaches struggle with this idea of seemingly manipulating people, mm. right? Like the, the using these principles and tricks, right? Like to, NLP. to get, yeah, to get people do to do what they want right and i think um the one thing i want to do is really acknowledge this as a concern because when you look at someone who uses principles of behavioral modification to sell you snake oil and somebody who's using those same principles to help you achieve a weight loss goal whether we like it or not, they're exactly the same principles. So it is a little bit of that with great power comes great responsibility. And it's, are you going to use those principles of, of manipulating people, if you'd like to put it that way, right? But like to, to persuade, to, to sway, are we going to use those powers, that knowledge? Are we going to use it for the good or for the that because when a client comes to me and they say okay here's what i truly want and i they identify an outcome then i will use every tool at my disposal persuasion manipulation blackmail if i have to right with their permission and blessing but to get them closer to that finish line whatever it takes right but it's when i take those same principles and i start again and perhaps leaning away from my ethics, like not being transparent, right? Being like we talk about sort of manipulating and selling people what they don't need, right? We're using exactly same principles, but it's really whether you use it for the good or for the evil. So um, when I talk to those folks, this is what we talk about because I know I'm never conflicted about using the strongest powers of persuasion that I know, because I know that I'm using them for the good of my client. It's really to get them to where I know they want to go. So that was kind of like that adaptable, you know, uh, how do we make people go where we want them to go uh, conversation that stood out. And now on to the challenging client. So I, I think two clients stand out in mind when you ask me about the challenging clients. And they were challenging for two different reasons. One client was the epitome of too much information. So think of an, think of an intimidating client. Coaches are often worried that their clients will ask them a question and they won't know the answer. Like that's a very common fear that I see 
especially with folks that are only like starting to learn and study nutrition because they're just terrified that, you know, somebody's going to ask them to list all the function of mitochondria, like on the spot, right? And I've coached over a thousand people and it hasn't happened once, right? Just, just throwing that out there. But it, it's a fear nevertheless. We feel like we're the expert and we have to know all the things. So with that fear in mind, imagine, imagine, uh, providing nutrition coaching to somebody who has a PhD in nutrition. Okay. That was, that was intimidating. That was, that was, that was intimidating because I remember seeing the intake for that client and thinking, Oh crap, because here's a client who will absolutely ask me questions that I won't know answers to because why would I? I don't have a PhD in nutrition. She does, right? And it was interesting because that client was challenging um, for a couple of reasons because one, I was going in intimidating, thinking, oh my goodness, what do I have to offer this client? She already knows everything. And then uh, what I realized to be a bigger challenge is that the client had a similar um, kind of mindset because she was going in with a little bit of like, you know, hands crossed uh, her chest, PhD in nutrition. So we're kind of going into this, right? Um, really both kind of stuck in this idea that information is king, right? Yeah. And she... She was going in with more information and more education uh, and she was a little skeptical and I was a little terrified. And I think that was, that was a challenging setup to begin with. And we actually ended up having a great coaching relationship. And one of the, one of the big struggles for her was to let go of the information, of the knowledge, rattling around in her brain and um, wanting to kind of discuss the fine details of you know the factors of the energy system something something right insert like a super elaborate topic for no reason here uh, and on my end I remember having um, this like what we call the, the crucial conversation right that kind of early on and I really suggest that coaches do that as, as terrifying as it is. And the crucial conversation was around putting your cards on the table. It's kind of saying, hey, Carrie, let's just, let me just throw this out there, right? Um, I said Carrie, not Siri. Siri <laughs> thinks I'm talking to her, so Siri is at my service. So I would say, I would say, <laughs> Hey, Carrie, let's just, let's just kind of throw that out there. Let's acknowledge the fact that you have way more education in nutrition than I do. In fact, if I ever have questions about nutrition, I might ask you because chances are you'll know better than I, right? Like you will know what articles to look at. You might've seen the research, but that's not my role. My role is not to teach you about nutrition. You already know about nutrition. My job as your coach is to help you identify the best ways to actually implement the information that you already know, right? So my job as a coach will be provide you with structure and with accountability. So really having that conversation early on to, to really acknowledge, because it was absolutely an elephant in the room. I was thinking it, she was thinking it, right? And kind of 
pulling it out just in the middle of the room and looking at it, I think just made us both let out this big sigh and we could move on, right? Like we, we could kind of move on. It's like, okay, whew, what does she know? Well, she might not, not know not know much about nutrition. That's okay. That's not what she's here for. Her specialty is. My specialty is not nutrition. My specialty is how to make people do shit that they want to do, right? Like how to help them do the things that they want to do. That's what I'm good at. So if that's what you want to do, I'll help you. And meanwhile, you can tell me about the function of mitochondria. I may or may not remember, but I'd be a fun conversation. Yeah, but that's, uh, and that's critical because there's another little, I'll add on there where it almost seems the psychology between, I always say it's easy to teach someone that has less experience in that realm than it is to teach someone who has more experience. So for example, when I have a younger client or someone who just does not have any education in that sphere, now obviously a lot of other traits, personality traits conform and and contribute to this, but it's generally a lot easier because there's no preconceived notions or ideas where you take someone who's so far in that they're just so in it and they can't see it. And we almost have to pull them out and say, hey, let's just zoom out. Look at it from a different perspective. And like most people, they are just so focused on the small details, which are irrelevant. Whereas I find that if you identify those big rocks, you know, the big principles, a lot of those smaller things just work themselves out. And that again can be down to someone's, you know, um, preference, whether they're, you know, they're more analytical or they, they are always looking at the details, they're overthinking things. Uh, and oftentimes just having those, like you said, you, this comes with experience and confidence being able to say, Hey, look, this is how it is. <laughs> this is obviously factual. This is you, this is me, this is where you're at. This is like, but you've come to me for help if you're not willing to try on some new, you know, behaviors, some habits, or even listen or be open-minded, this, this is never going to work. I found that in the early days because I, most people I coach are generally, they're older than me. And so I will even say sometimes if I feel there is perhaps some a respect or an ego thing there. I say, hey, look, I'm not going to tell you how to suck eggs. You've got a lot more life experience than me, respectfully, because you call me old. No. Um, but I said, you know, you've seen this, you've seen this, you've been through this. I said, you can't buy that, right? But my experience in this particular area where you want help is superior, right? We know this because I can show you, I've got credibility from clients and you know, you've come to me. So give me that opportunity to actually help you. And that can be quite a fearful conversation to have for inexperienced coaches. And sometimes, like you said, addressing the big elephant in the room is what you need to do. So I think that's, yeah, that's very valuable, Kate. And I do appreciate you sharing that with me because a lot of coaches probably out there going, oh yeah, like they think like you learn all of this knowledge and it's great. Don't get me wrong. And if you're a bit of a nerd like me, yeah, you'll hang on to some of those terms and you'll remember the mechanistics. But a lot of the time, those things are irrelevant because it's about the main principles um, of, of change, whether that's nutrition or whether that's training to get someone there. And yeah, you're going to get the odd client who might ask you, but be honest and say, hey, you know what? 
I don't know, but I'll find out or let's find out together or let me refer out because honesty is, you know, it'll always come down. Don't make it up and just, just be honest because that person will, will respect that a little bit more. So I want to diversify then and, and ask Kate, if you could go back and speak to yourself at the start of perhaps your coaching career or when you started to really, really help people specifically, and it might be with precision nutrition. Um, what are what are the, some of the things, if you could just bullet points, they say, yeah, and I know this is hard, you only had five minutes. You'd be like, hey, Kate, this is Kate from the future. I've been in the matrix. I have come here. <laughs> and, uh, right, because you'd be Trinity. And you'd be like, I'm going to give you some knowledge, right? Bang, what would you say? Oh, my goodness. Oh, you're killing me with this question. I'll tell you why in a second. Um, because... I think that any gems of wisdom that I would have to share, um, the other Kate wouldn't be ready to receive them, right? So I don't know that I, if I had such a cool opportunity, if I had such an incredible opportunity to meet myself from 10, 15 years ago, I mean, I say incredible, but like now in retrospect, I'm thinking I would probably meet this person and just like be sick of her in five minutes, right? It's just like, oh my God, I cannot stand you, right? So I, I don't know, maybe we would completely hate each other. Um, but if I had an opportunity, I think I would actually spend it just asking questions because it's very hard to remember what what I was like, like it was very, it's very hard for us to remember what we were like five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I think from a very selfish perspective, assuming that I'm coming from the future, going to the past and then going back to the future to live out the rest of my life. I think from a very selfish perspective, I would almost want to like learn as much as possible about this past Kate's thinking processes so I could understand where I come from better. And um, maybe that makes me feel a little, uh, make me sound a little jaded, but I just don't think that those amazing realizations that I have made in the 15, 20 years since this, you know, past Kate is kind of living out her life would land anywhere because I don't, I think we've all been on both ends of that conversation, right? Like we've all been, you know, you're 17 years old and somebody who's super old because they're 38 is telling you how, you know, oh man, if I only knew what I know now, like you, you can't train like that, man. You got to like value recovery, man. You got to do mobility, man. You can't just load up the stupid plates on, man. But it doesn't matter, right? Because when you're 17, that it's like, what do you know? You're an old guy. You're 38. Go away. What, like, you don't understand. Right? So it's almost like we are in these two completely warm time zones and we don't really understand each other anyway. So yeah. that um, just makes me sound super jaded. <laughs> no, I, I love that because no one, I've asked, I ask that question a lot and it's a popular scenario. I mean, anyone can metaphorically think about that and it goes, it seems very, it seems very romantic. It's almost like the whole, you know, living forever. But when you think about it, it has a lot of problems and, uh, you know, ideologies, but you're right. Because if you went back and I love that you've brought this up because this sort of is a very thought provoking notion, you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't be ready to hear it. 
because there's a reason why you go through life and you go through phases and then you learn things as you go. And we often, you know, we go hindsight's a great thing. It is. But if you had that information, half of it, you would still throw away. And we know this because there are people that have been on this planet longer than us that I believe it's been done. It's been said for the most part. We have it. They're called older people, but we still don't listen. A lot of the time, they'll tell us something and you have to be of a certain level or maturity or experience to take that on board. And a lot of the time, if you did listen, you would actually be far better off. Not always. And it's not saying that people with more life experience are, are always more wise. It's not the case. We can learn things from everyone in, in my belief. But oftentimes they have been or they've made the mistake, but you're not there. And I see that when I speak to, say, younger audiences in the gym and I see them, you know, they're deadlifting, right? You want to lift heavy. You want to get jacked. You want to get swole, son. I get it. You want to look good right? But they don't want to listen to me. But when they see me pumped up with my shirt off in the changing room, which sounds terrible, all of a sudden, they're stood around me like I'm Jesus and they're the disciples, right? That's right, because you got to meet their client where they're at, right? Like if you know what talks to the crowd, that's what talks to the crowd. And, and this is why and I think, and it, it can be a conflict of interest sometimes. I advertise in a certain way. I do like to look good. That's a big part of, of why I train. And I'd be lying to myself and other people if I didn't. But I do think that needs to be upheld with ethics, beliefs, values. And also, if you are coaching a level of intelligence. And this is what I try and tell to the younger guys. I'm like, look, I get it. I know where you want to be. I Trust me, I do. I said, but this is something that if you can get your head around working smarter first, not only will you enhance your physique, but you'll be able to do it in a way that's more sustainable. You're not going to have injuries. I'm like, you keep deadlifting like that. You're not going to be deadlifting a long time. I said, trust me. And if you understand those principles and you can, now you're listening to me, but you can look something like this, or you can reach your potential in a much shorter timeframe, although it, it is still a journey. And you can just see some people it hits home, some people that, you know, the dots connect, the light bulb goes off. Some people just carry on, they're not ready. And it's not their fault, like you said, it, they're just not ready to hear it. So I think that's really, um, that is a, a different way, a different perspective to look at that question. So I really like the way you answered that because often people just go, bang, yeah, this is what I would say. And there's nothing wrong with that, but. I think that's an important point to address that, you know, we are here where we are for a reason right now and it progresses as such. I wanted to ask, I wanted to talk about um, at least two or three more things before we sign off. And I think they're really important again, because we've already spoke about them in terms of principle is I want to talk about, and if we can tie it in yoga and I want to talk about being a mum, and I'd love to intertwine how those things again have been crucial bookmarks in your life and once again what have you learned from those things in your experience if anything and how have you carried them over you know within your coaching career because i imagine especially being a mom that is well that's one of the the toughest challenges that any woman can go through and and you know being a parent in general because you are now teaching a human you teaching your human. You're like, man, I want to get this right. Oh, I want to avoid the mistakes, you know, that my parents made. I want to do it better. But at the same time, you might be fearful that 
you know, you're wrapping them up in cotton wool and you, you know, you only get one shot at it. So yeah, I'd love to unpack that if, if, um, if you feel comfortable sharing that, Kate. Yeah. So, I mean, starting with yoga, I, I think I'll always be grateful to yoga because it's been my very first introduction into really not just my first movement practice, but it's been my first introduction to doing something incredibly consistently for a long period of time and seeing results, mm-hmm. just being completely like boneheaded about something yeah. every single day, six days a week for years, reading, taking courses, attending workshops, working with different teachers, going to India, coming back, teaching different types of yoga, 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 yoga. That was, that was my life for five, six, seven years. Um, and what I realized was yoga didn't matter in a way because the lessons that i've learned on the mat were exactly the same lessons that i heard my friends learned while they were doing martial arts while they were playing piano while they were raising their children so there was just something yoga was just my introduction to discipline maybe to that kind of consistency to respecting the process that if you do the same thing over and over and over again you will in inevitably get better and you will inevitably make realizations that are bigger than this process that you're doing because the amount of times i cried on my mat just about like a pose which is so silly like if you think about it like we could go i could do this pose and that today i cannot do this pose and then you kind of reflect of how much that is about your freaking ego and the fact that nobody cares about the stupid pose right and even the pose doesn't matter right like and uh i think that was that was really illuminating for me and since then i've been able to tap into that much easier with any any other discipline it almost feels like once you once you learn one additional foreign language learning other ones is easier because you've already done it once like you've kind of you went there right you you grab the structure you you learn a bunch of words and then it just once you have the general skeleton the scaffolding the the system you can just tap into it. So now I can learn those same lessons through running or through meditation or through cooking or connecting with people or strength training, Olympic lifting, CrossFit, like a number of pursuits that I have tried, experimented with um, for kind of various amounts of times since yoga and it just all comes back to those same principles so that was really invaluable to me just having an entry point into respecting the the process yeah yeah i'll I'll tack onto that really quickly with that has been a massive revelation for me specifically i know people will go for their own revelations like you have yourself where once you understand those, and again, I always, I'm always talking about fundamentals, Alex talking about fundamentals. I'm like, yeah, because if you get the fundamentals, you're sorted because then you can, it's like, I always say, look, let's learn how to bake a cake. All right. 
there's some principles that we need to know. Right? Once you learn how to bake cakes, you can make all different types of cakes. You can put all different types of icing on them. You can make them all different flavors. Like, but first, we need to make the cake, right? And that's the same thing. And once you learn how to make cakes, you can just have all different flavors and different types. And it's the same where, and you use those examples. And I'll share that with what I've learned from training and nutrition. I'm like, okay, well, these are the main foundations. These are the cornerstone you know, habits, principles that help. If I apply this now to learning piano, sure enough, oh, wow, I can, I can, I can fast forward, you know, my success, etc. I can learn how to do it better. Same with the language, same with business relationships. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. So I'm like, there is a bit of a learning process here. There are these fundamentals. And like you said, once you understand that larger concept, you can then, without obviously spreading yourself too thin, you can have a more enjoyable and positive experience with different things in life. And you just apply that because those principles are universal, if you will. So I think that was, that's, yeah, that was a great point there, Kate. I like that. And I think that the other example there is, is if I were to completely be stuck on the outcome, I think that would have been an incredibly design. Goodness knows I'm not very flexible. So all of my years and hours of yoga have never resulted in me being able to put both feet behind my head and, you know, do the Cirque de Soleil feats of human elasticity. And that was never really the point. And now as we talk, I'm thinking of, so I started up on my own podcast a couple of months ago and um, that was holy moly a steep learning curve as I'm sure you know, but speaking to a friend, I expressed something to her. I said, you know, I'm actually not convinced that podcasting is necessarily my medium because I'm a writer first and foremost. And I think in many ways I'll always be a writer, mm -hmm. but I want to give it a shot. I really want to learn podcasting and become better at it. So like I'll give it two or three years and see how it goes. And she started laughing. She said, wow, Kate, that's one hell of a trial period. And it's true, right? But it's sort of, it, it's kind of like with yoga, I'm not attached to a specific outcome. I'm much more interested in the things I'm going to learn along the way. And I also know um, two things. I know that things take a long time. Everything takes a long time. And number two, I'm not really in like I'm not planning to die tomorrow. If all goes well, I'll be around for two to three years more or 20 or 30 years if I ever get so lucky. So what the hell else do I have going on? I might as well be learning something in my next two to three years. And I think that's a good run. I think after two to three years, I'll have a pretty good solid um, understanding and grasp of whether podcasting is indeed my medium. Maybe it is or maybe it isn't. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting outlook as well, where, again, it, it comes back to what we were talking about before. It's more about the journey than it is about the outcome and the goal. And it's just about perspective and reframing a lot of the times where if we look at it and go, well, yeah, I guess what am I going to do with my time? And I'm not going to be an expert going into something straight away. And I, I've recently started doing yoga because... I started stretching about two years ago because I would needed to become more mobile and it's helped my main goal of strength training. 
And yoga is a really good opportunity to learn more, but also have a dedicated hour of, you know, with the type that I do stretching. But I go in and people go, oh, why do you do yoga? You know, it's religious talking. And I said, no, 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 you're missing the point here. I'm like, I go and do Pilates, I do yoga, I do silks. I do, I mean, and all my, you know, my clients looking at me like, what? what are you doing up there? You're usually under the bar. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not attached to like, I love that. But emotionally, I want to put myself in uncomfortable situations and try new things where I do not fit at all or what you would think of my demographic because I I want to learn. And in every class or in every experience, uh, I've learned something so valuable. I've met amazing people and it's a beautiful feeling to go in and be a complete beginner again, oh, it's it's very humbling. Very, very humbling indeed. Um, and like you said, it's about what you can take from that, not going in and going, well, hidden agenda, what, what, you know, what's in this for me, but going in with that perspective of, you know, I'm going to give this a go. I'm sure there's going to be some translatable skill sets here. But again, like we've said, it just comes down to, I'm just going to try some ice cream. Maybe this chalk mint's good, maybe it's not, but at least I can say I've tried it, right? Well, and I think to touch on the earlier point, like I think this is a good example of, you know, going back, traveling in time, because uh, if I told my 20-year-old self any of the things I just told you, the, you know, it's about the process. I'm not in a hurry. Let's see what I will learn. Like my 20 year old self would really want to punch my now self in the face. Very much so because it just sounds like gibberish. I was impatient and obnoxious and I wanted things yesterday, right? Like I didn't want to accept the fact that things took a long time. I really didn't want to hear somebody say it because maybe things took a long time for them, but surely things were not going to take a long time for me because I was different, damn. And if I was just going to work harder, I was going to get them faster. So, you know, if you're 20 and you're listening to this and like kind of my previous couple of points just, you know, made your blood boil, I get you. I feel you. So just archive the episode for, you know, 10, 20 years and listen to it again. Um, Hopefully we're we're still around, right? It might resonate then. This is, this is very true. I think we have a lot of similar (laughs) mindsets by this, the sounds of things. There's a lot of verbiages, and articulations that you have made and are making that really sort of make sense to my mind, shall we say. Uh, and obviously there's, there's people out there, we fall under these sort of trends. I did this, you probably heard of an Enneagram test. I did it earlier this week, right? It's some more coaching I'm doing. And um, this coach, she said, oh, she goes, you, oh, you're a, you're a type, you're like me. She goes, you're like me. Not that it was a good or a bad thing. She goes, but I get it. And she sort of explained it all out. And, and I said, oh, okay, maybe that's why I've resonated with you or I've listened to a lot of things you've done. And it's not so much that I get it, but I'm sort of, I'm thinking, why would you say that? Because that's something that I would say. And it just seems very like, no, people don't say that, you know? And it's like, but you said that. I thought that you said it. Um, and obviously we are all individual, but there are obviously different personality traits or different mindsets without putting people into boxes because there's a lot of things out there like, oh, I'm blue and you're red and it's like, hang on, fair enough. But there obviously are similarities within the way people think. So yeah, I do I do connect a lot with what you're saying, Kate. Did you want to um, talk about or quickly 
being a mother and how that's helped? Uh, or are you pretty sensitive on time at the minute? Uh, we can chat about, about parenthood. Are you a parent yourself? I am not, not at this point in time, but I'm an only child and I do have the foresight to think or believe that I would like a couple of kids. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting experience because it's sort of the most mundane, ordinary, yet exciting and unique experience one can have. Right? Because it's, it's incredibly unoriginal. It, there isn't really, and, and the reason I asked whether you were a parent or not, uh, and I thought you might not be, because kind of the way you spoke about it, right? Like the motherhood is one of the toughest challenges that any woman can overcome. And I've always been very fascinated by this sort of elevation of parenthood into sort of the ranks of religion, right? Like it's this, you know, I'm a parent and you're not and you will never understand and you will never relate and you've never known love like this right uh so i find it very curious because uh you know i i've had an exchange with a friend recently and he's been a father for for a long time now but he we've been out of touch and he messaged me he said hey i i saw that you're a mom i said yeah i am she's uh, almost two and he said pretty cool huh and I said, yeah, yeah, she's, she's, a, she's a really cool kid. And he's like, it really changes everything, doesn't it? And I said, does it? And I think that's where, where we kind of like went our different ways, right? Because he's like, well, but don't you feel like everything has changed? And I said, I don't feel any different. And he said, you don't? I'm like, no, I don't. I feel like... I've had a very good sense of who I was before I had a child and having a child has added an aspect to my life, but it hasn't changed me fundamentally as a person. Right. And I think that, and that's my experience. And I know folks who have had a very different experience where, um, you know, kind of the sentiment is, I didn't know what life was about until I had children, right? Like my, my life did not have meaning before I had children. My life had plenty of meaning before I had a child. I think um, what I've really seen, and that has been my experience as well, is that being a parent amplifies what you already are, right? Like so... Whatever you are, if you are, you know, loud and huggy, caring, worried, you know, anxious, laughing, angry, grumpy, stern, anything, any of those things, they just get amplified. So uh, somebody said to me, um, and it was another friend, and I've been kind of realizing a lot of the interactions and I've been tapping into what my experience has been like through people asking me about it, kind of like you are right now, right? And a lot of these people, some of these people have kids themselves and they're curious about how I have now changed and evolved, right? Having crossed to the other side. And um, other friends don't have kids and they're curious 
kind of about the same thing, right? Like, do you feel different? What has changed for you? Uh, so this friend says, she, she said, you know, I've seen pictures of your daughter. It sounds like it's really fun being her mom. Is it really fun being her mom? And I said, you know, it is. It's tons of fun being her mom. It's fun and it's chaotic and it's kind of an adventure. And I said, and you know, it just feels to me that that's what I am. Like I, I'm fun and I'm kind of chaotic and adventurous with a kid or without. So when I'm a mom, that's what I bring to motherhood, to the table, to parenthood, to my child. And if you are kind, caring, considerate, soft, nurturing, you're going to bring that. That's going to be your experience as a father, as a, as a mother, as a primary caregiver. So whatever you are, that's what you're going to be. So I kind of feel like sometimes the biggest things we can give our children and that's a, that's a big topic on the parents' minds. What can we give our children? The biggest things we can give our children is sometimes not about our children at all. Because, hey, the amount of therapy I have done in my life, the amount of coaching I have done, the amount of digging, growth, self-reflection, that's really helping me being a good mom right now. That's incredible. And it really had nothing to do with me wanting to be a mom one day or not. So that has been my, my experience so far. Yeah. And a, co a cocktail of experiences. And again, I, I admire how you always, with these questions, you, and it's not out of purpose, but you, you go against the grain. I love that. You, you know, and it, and again, I know it's not because you're, tr it's not just to be different, but you come at it from a different perspective. And I really love that. I think that's the great, one of the beauties of being able to podcast is just getting different perspectives on things which you perhaps had not seen or knew that were there or aware of. And perhaps with parenthood, it is romanticized. It is put on a pedestal, if you like. And it comes down to the personality again. I see people who, for example, will buy a dog because they're lonely. They need something to love. I'm like, well, that's all well and good, but it's also a little bit dangerous because if you're putting all your love in that external energy, what happens if that energy does not exist? And if you don't have purpose before that, that becomes your purpose. Excuse me. You be become so enveloped within that. It's the old... You know, you see two people, you complete me. I'm like, well, that's that's dangerous because you should be, <laughs> right? I personally, I'm of the belief that you should be fairly, look, we're always learning, we're always growing, but you should know who you are. Like a symphony, you should complement each other and make beautiful music, but you should still be able to create beautiful tunes uh, by yourself to, to use a, an example for people listening, something that may or may not resonate. And that, perhaps is how you've described that as parenthood where you already had a lot of value, knew who you were, you had this experience and the child, your daughter has just enhanced that and added and amplified, like you said, to those experiences rather than, oh, I have a kid and now I have to completely change. And of course there are changes and you have to be obviously a little more selfless to a degree, but you know, why should it change who you are at the core? Because if anything, like you said, it should enhance it and you should be able to pass that experience on. And that's where that sort of 
individuality comes on and perhaps the underlying theme of this podcast where it's again it's not necessarily about the actual thing in front of you but more about the experience of which it gives and the journey that evolves with it so i think i mean don't don't get me wrong if you're starting out as an asshole and parenthood is going to be that trigger experience that's going to turn you into an amazing person high five please change fundamentally. But if you are starting out as a great person already, then why should you change fundamentally? No, please don't change fundamentally. Stay the awesome person that you already are. Become more awesome and help your child become their own awesome person as well. Yeah, 100%, 100% agree. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there, a lot of the listeners who do, have kids or perhaps in a relationship or trying for kids, etc. So perhaps some, some food for thought uh, in there. Kate, I want to talk about, before we get onto the, um, the last round of questions, because I appreciate you being very generous with your time and I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation. So I want to push my luck a little bit. And I want to talk about your role because I feel like we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't, although we've unpacked a lot of more of your experiences around your your education and your journey so far let's talk about precision nutrition a little bit and since you've been coming on board with them and how that has perhaps impacted or added once again another string to your bow and uh, some of some of the i think for some takeaways perhaps some systems and processes or any any tools that you've found that have helped with coaching people with precision nutrition but also perhaps as well we have to acknowledge with COVID anything that you think would help other coaches and practitioners perhaps be able to communicate or, or give a little bit more valuable uh, value to their, to their clients during this time where we perhaps can't get face to face. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There are a couple of things there. I mean, with, with precision nutrition in our coaching curriculum, there is uh, one lesson at the very end of a 12 months journey. And this is where clients get a lesson every day for 12 months. We talk about nutrition and sleep and stress and protein and carbs and all these great things. And then this journey comes to an end. And the lesson is called, is there life after precision nutrition? And I always chuckle it down on a little bit because we talk about it as kind of offboarding, right? Like, where do you go from here? How do you proceed? How do you hold on to all the habits that you've learned this year? What, what do next steps look like for you? And uh, I've always kind of joked that I actually still don't know if there is life after precision nutrition because I never left uh, since finding them. So maybe there is nothing after. Um, but I think in terms of kind of working for PN, the, the one example that stands out in my mind, I remember for whatever reason I was awake Um, and I realized that the article that popped up was actually written by one of my colleagues who works at Precision Nutrition. And I remember thinking it was so cool. And I messaged him that, that moment, and I think he got it next morning. And I said, hey, 
Nate, guess what? And it was Nate Green. Um, guess what? I was just randomly Googling something and the first article that popped up has your name on it. And I just wanted to say, like, I think it's pretty cool that I just like get to work with these cool, awesome people. Right. And it's really just knowing that, like that you're working in a company of like cool, awesome people. And sometimes it's the little things because we all work remotely. So sometimes you work with somebody for six months or a year before you even get to meet them. But because I travel a lot, I got to meet a lot of my coworkers and colleagues face to face because I was in California randomly or I was in Michigan or somewhere else. And if there are any coworkers in town, I'd pop in. And here's the little thing that's kind of not little. Wherever I was, if, uh, if I ever was in the kitchen and I would ask for something, I'd say like, hey, like, do you guys have milk or something? Say, oh, like, just open the fridge. It's, it's right there. I would open the fridge and realize that their fridge would look exactly like mine. And that was kind of funny, right? Like, it, it's just like the fact, and, and it's such a tiny thing, but it's this sort of like, it's the people like us, right? It's, it, it's a company where everyone was interested and concerned about deep health and nutrition and moving and kind of exercise. And that was kind of cool. I've never had that before. And I think that is, that is still very much true. I think the mission of the company is um, like I can, I really identify with the mission of the company and that's very important to me. Yeah. For, I think it will, Again, it comes back to it's quite an appropriate place to perhaps summarize or, or even wrap up because it comes back to that first point of the why and then surrounding yourself with people who have fucking used the word like the creed, you know, the same yeah. creed, that same belief system. And like attracts like, you know, and there's a reason why I believe that, you know, you attract certain people into your surroundings or it's it, there's a sort of magnetic pull and you and you pull in by polarizing by you know being your authentic self those people who kind of get it right and that's something of like that i'm learning more and more by no no be be yourself obviously be willing to change but you'll find that again we've talked about this you'll pull in those people who perhaps are like-minded or very similar and there's these patterns there's these traits that you might see even in a fridge or something like that um, yeah. where where you're there's on the be, i think there's got to be just like a certain common foundation of of perhaps approach right and i think um folks who own a gym will relate to that like mm. that you you hire different coaches but they all have to share something they all have to share your main beliefs around the culture of that facility and i think that's similar so like if i had my team of clients and i went away on vacation and one of my clients really needed a coaching call i knew that any one of the 12 coaches on staff could jump in and have that coaching call with my client, knowing fully well that they would provide a very different coaching experience because they're a different person. Their personality might be completely different from mine, but I also knew that we all shared client-centeredness, right? Like the meeting the client where they're at. Um, I would never arrive and discover that my client was put on a 10-day detox by another coach, right? Like it's just like those, those big rocks we agree on and we agree on what the big rocks are. Yeah, 
hundred percent. Those those common values are critical, especially in a team environment where if you are under the same banner, you want to be singing from the same hymn sheet at least with complementing, you know, tones and, and and voices and variants, which I think is really good. Now, Kate, I want to talk or want to ask now some questions. These are rapid fire. They're a bit more fun. If you listen to my podcast, you might know some of them, but I've got a few new ones in there that you wouldn't have heard. Um, it's a bit more lighthearted. It's a bit more fun before my final question. So answer them, whatever comes to mind, because they're, they're pretty thought provoking. They're a bit fun. And my first question is this, and it's a different one. And it is, if you could put something on social media and it was just a paragraph, it was an ad, but every single person on social media, they would see it. It would come up, whether it was Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever the kids are using these days, I don't know. <laughs> what, what, would you, what would your message be? Or what would you write if, it, if you knew it was going to get in front of everyone's eyes that was on their device? Hmm. It would probably say something along the lines of take a breath, get three hugs today you will feel better i like it <laughs> i like it simple but effective with a with a tiger emoji that's right tigger with a tigger emoji <laughs> that's right gotta have it gotta have it all right if you could invite anyone around the table can be more than one person if you like. You can have up to three, dead or alive, to have dinner with. Who would you invite and why? Oh, I have a person in mind, and I don't know that I would want to share him with anyone. So it it would I think it would have to be like a one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I would love to have a conversation with Christopher Hitchens. I'm a big fan. Christopher Hitchens is, uh, is a writer and a journalist. Uh, he's kind of probably well-known, notoriously so, as um, one of the, the four horsemen of atheism. Uh, but he's been an incredible wordsmith. So he's, his power of persuasion as expressed through words is legendary and is just such a, such a pleasure. Like for me to, to listen to him make a point, get a point across, articulate his opinion, and uh, uh, not infrequently completely destroy his opponent in the process. To me, that's like a physical pleasure. That's amazing. I would love to, to find out his opinion on all the things that have conspired since his death. And uh, I think his left is way too early. And, uh, and I think if I wanted to invite somebody for dinner, it would have to be someone like Dr. House. Like not, not Hugh Laurie, but rather like the character of Dr. House, who's sort of like intelligent, biting, kind of a pain in the ass, right? And could be quite entertaining with very dry humor. Uh, so I think that that would be that would be a party I'd enjoy. Yeah, that would be quite the combination for sure. <laughs> who, who wouldn't yeah. want dinner and a show? Um, something no. psychologically soothing with Mister Hitchens, and um, yeah, perhaps something a little bit more dramatical <laughs> with yeah. uh, with Doctor yeah. House. Very interesting. I like it. And um, 
I'll ask you this one then, because I think this one might be, it might resonate with you a little bit more. You might have a more interesting opinion based on the answers you gave to me. And it is this, which is perhaps a conflicting notion. If you could live forever, and I'll draw like as you are now, so you don't age any more than you are now, whatever you've got right now you get to keep, would you choose to live forever? No. Um, living without any constraints is boring. It's the constraints that encourage creativity. It's the constraints that create deadlines, urgency, and excitement, really. There's, there's got to be ending. Would you ever choose to watch a movie if you knew it never ended? God, no. Hence the term deadline. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. But it is true, and it's a good point. Again, it's on face value. It's, wow, yeah, I'd love to live forever. But then as you gain more experience in life, perhaps you go, well, that's the whole reason why it's precious. It's the whole reason why you enjoy a book, a film, you want more. It leaves you wanting more. Death is the ultimate cliffhanger almost. And I guess we'll Mm -hmm. all find out one day perhaps. Um, Now, my last question, Kate, it's a bit more more serious in nature, but you can make it as lighthearted as you want. It's the one I ask all my guests. And if you've listened to my podcast, you've got perhaps a, a bit of a leg up, but it is, it is, can you identify a fear in your life? It can be big, can be small, can be dramatic, might even just be something very, very small and, um, I guess subtle is the word I'm looking for. Could you identify that fear or a fear and what it was and what you learned from it? And it could be a small ripple, which has had a massive effect or vice versa. And is this a fear that I currently experience or is it a fear I've experienced in the past and have since conquered? Could be both. Mm. You could still be fighting this fear or you could have overcome it. It's usually something that you've overcame because you can really extrapolate a learning from it. But as you know, fear can be evolving as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think the fear that I have experienced, and I think still experienced time to time. I just, I just sort of got over myself more so uh, than, than the fear. Like the fear's still there, but I'm kind of going, la, 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 yeah, yeah. Heard this all before. I'm just going to keep doing my thing. Um, and that's the fear of sucking. Like that, that when you've, when you've described that, um, the beginner's mind, right? Like they're trying something new that you're not very good at. You invariably suck at the beginning. And I, I really like being good at things. And I am, I am good at many things. Um, when we're good at certain things, we often tend to choose those things to do because it feels good to be good at things. And we start avoiding things that we're not very good at. Um, so that, that fear, that unpleasant experience of just sucking at something, I think is the fear I've experienced in the past and a fear I kind of managed to get over for the most part. Um, because just life, I think, is too short. Speaking of constraints, uh, I still want to try new things. And if I'm going to suck, I'm going to suck. And no, no one dies, right? Except yeah. me at the end. That's it. And that is the fear of all fears from asking this question 
hundreds of times, it is always the same answer spoken in a different way. This is an absolute, it's, it's like a, it is in itself a revelation um, or conundrum. It's interesting. It's many things, but it strikes me interesting that every single person that I ask is that is always the answer. It's, it's delivered differently, but fundamentally Mm -hmm. it's a fear of failure, not being good enough, not doing enough, being an imposter, it seems to be a common trait amongst amongst the professionals or the people that well, I'm able to speak to. I think to. A, lot of, a lot of people who, I think many people experience it, maybe all people experience it, many mm. successful people overcame it one way or another, right? They, they maybe chose to proceed regardless. You kind of realize that if you fail enough times, like no one really cares at the end, mm. right? So you, you just, you get sensitized to it and you kind of go, but I think that there are other fears. Like if I were to to consider the fears that I experience and I haven't gotten over, and I don't know that I will, I think it's the fear of people close to you dying. And this is kind of the part where we can get all existential and everybody dies and attachment and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know what? I'm happy to admit I'm not there yet. I'm not that freaking enlightened. I don't want people I love dying and some of them will die before me. Um, right. My, if, if all goes well, my parents will die before me. And if all goes well, I will die before my child. So there will be this sort of uh, existential human suffering, no matter what we do. Uh, right. And I'm afraid of that. It's going to suck. Right? Like the next time somebody close to me dies, it's going to suck a lot. It's going to hurt. So yeah, I'm, I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of that pain. I'm afraid of that suffering. Maybe there will be a day when I transcend and uh, no longer be afraid. But that day is not today. Correct. It's such a thought-provoking topic and a journey. And I know that when I, uh, I lost my, my, my dog, in, in COVID a couple of months ago, uh, was the f- it, I've never really lost anything that I loved so much, and um, yeah, I truly knew the feeling of loss then. Although I'd lost, you know, say humans in my life that were part of my family, but I didn't have that same connection or affinity or the emotional intelligence to understand it like I did with with Louis King Louis. And it got me really thinking because I got my science brain over here, more logical, and then I got my emotional brain over here. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I understand, like, he's gone, right? He's gone. But I'm like, but part of me is, like, not willing to let go, which is I know the emotional side. But then I'm, I'm, my science brain comes in and it's like, well, the law of thermodynamics would suggest that energy can be created, but it cannot be destroyed, only transferred, Right. And I'm, and so I'm, I'm like, it, like, where does it go? Like, you have this energy inside someone, it just goes, and you're like, how can it be around for such an amount of time and just go, right? Like, when I eat food, it doesn't just go; it breaks down, it gets digested, it goes through a process, right? Process, and then it goes through another process, which we'll not get into if people are eating their breakfast. But <laughs> you know, it just, it really does make you think. Uh, although I'm not a religious man, I, I'm, I'm more of a, I guess if you had to categorize me atheist, I'm open-minded. I, I, I listen to a lot 
and believe perhaps there's something else out there called an alien or whatever you might. But it's, yeah, it is very interesting. And I guess only time will tell. And perhaps all of us, like you mentioned at the end, will figure out, does it, we might just go to sleep. It might be lights out. That's it. Or maybe we do transcend in, into another dimension, another realm, into something else. I don't know. But that is the question of all questions. Either, but honestly, until then, I'm planning my funeral and it's going to be an awesome party. I got to tell you. And if you're around still, when I'm dead, you're invited. It's going to be a good time. And I'll, I'll make sure of it. I, I but, appreciate it. <laughs> I, will, I will come dressed as Neil. There you go. I feel like you and I have taken quite a journey today, my friend. And we like, I think we're ending on a very existential note. This is the part where I turn the camera off. We'd sort of buy each other a beer and keep talking into the wee hours of the night. Am I right? Exactly. That's exactly right. I've uh, got the, uh, the, the Bailey's ready to go actually. <laughs> All in the morning, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Depends what your poison is, but no, it, it's definitely been a journey. And uh, I want to thank you again for your time. I very much appreciate it. Thank you for being so generous with the discrepancy of times. And thank you for sharing. I think there's a lot of value in there. Selfishly, I have learned from it and it's highlighted a few things in my mind, but I know also for the listeners, especially for those who are perhaps reading in between the lines or perhaps will go and listen to it a few times. I think there is a tremendous amount of applicable and raw value, which is generally what we want to bring to the table on this podcast. But for people who do want more, Kate, and they want to find more about you, you mentioned a podcast too. You've got that. That's a new one. Um, where are the best links? Where are the best resources, places to connect with you? Yeah. So I'll, I'll mention a couple of places. I mean, we've talked about precision nutrition quite a bit. So of course I'll direct folks to precisionnutrition.com for mm -hmm. uh, kind of your, our infamous blog and all the information there on uh, most nutrition topics you can think of. Uh, personally, I can be found at my website. It's my last name.com. So it's uh, S O L O V I E V A, or just take a look at, um, the, the podcast name, Google that, uh, I, my name should pop up. And uh, the podcast that I've started is uh, called Operation Super Coach. Uh, so this is a podcast where coaches find their superpowers. We, we talk to coaches and non-coaches, and I'm really leaning into the idea of uh, being able to borrow and steal from anywhere. So I have um, interviewed a number of coaches and uh, so far I have interviewed a hairstylist, a farmer, a professional chef. Uh, I'm hoping to interview a professional orchestra conductor soon and we're kind of just tapping into the little things that coaches can steal from those folks in the non-coaching industries having a good time. I love it. That sounds absolutely brilliant. Something that yeah. Uh, once again, I'm on the same page there. Hence why I asked those questions. What have you learned from? I love pulling things from the far left or the far right and seeing what's applicable again to become that Swiss army knife. So I'll definitely be tuning into that one. Uh, you indirectly answered another question, which I usually ask, which is if you could choose a superpower, what would it be and why? And I think for you, it would be almost be to um, identify, steal knowledge from other people or be able to absorb and apply it. Don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that'd be a pretty cool superpower. Um, but for everyone listening as well, I will make sure, as always, I'll put the links in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, it'll be in the description as well. 
So, Kate, thank you again for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And for all of those listening, as always, make sure you like the podcast, give it a like, subscribe on YouTube. And if it is safe to do so, leave a rating and a review. I know I always say this, but it really helps the channel grow, increases the exposure when people search for it, and more importantly, helps get knowledge out to other people to better help them on their endeavors. So as always, until next time, stay fearless.